Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 1 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with different trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way that God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this first installment, we will examine the role of faith in stress management, first as it's demonstrated in an Old Testament story, and then as it is affirmed in verses from the New Testament. You know, in 1882, Vincent van Gogh, the Dutch post-impressionist, made a pencil drawing of an old man with his head in his hands. That was the name of the drawing. Very depressing looking. You can see the man's anxiety and his sadness and stress. So about seven years later, he did another piece of art. This time it was an oil painting, and it had some color, but it was very similar. It was entitled, Old Man in Sorrow on the Threshold of Eternity. And then it was just a year or so later when he committed suicide at the age of only 47. So we can see that coping with stressful situations is certainly nothing new. Not just going back 100 years or 150 years, but clear back in the thousands of years of the past. Stress can be a factor in ulcers sometimes, high blood pressure, heart disease, insomnia, irritability, even susceptibility to minor illness. Maybe you recall that stress caused Jesus Christ to sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. So come with me, please, to a story in the third chapter of the book of Daniel where we see an incredibly stressful situation for three Jewish men. A little bit of background. About 586 B.C., the people of Judah, many of them in Jerusalem, were carried captive to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar and his military. And that included three young men by the name of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They were renamed after some of the gods of the Babylonians, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taught the Babylonian language and schooled in the culture and the customs and the science and astronomy of the day and made advisors to this great King Nebuchadnezzar. In the meantime, their friend and colleague Daniel, who was renamed Belteshazzar, rose to a position of great power and had them promoted along with him. And at one point, he interpreted a prophetic dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had that had to do with King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom and then some kingdoms that would come along afterwards. It involved a great image or statue whose head was of gold. And Daniel had told King Nebuchadnezzar at that time that the head of gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty kingdom. Well, apparently, that whole scene went to his head literally, pun intended, and 
was the reason for the events that are described in Daniel chapter 3. Well, Daniel himself is not mentioned in this upcoming story. Perhaps he was out of the kingdom. But his three friends, renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are the main characters. So let's begin reading there. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. By the way, that's 90 feet tall. So if you can imagine an image that is eight or nine stories tall, then you've about got the picture. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. By the way, Babylon was just to the east of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel in uh, what is now occupied by the nation of Iraq. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up, and they stood before it. Are you getting the picture here? He's been thinking about that image he dreamed of and the gold head that represented him, and he's made an entire image of gold to represent himself, and he would like all of those people to have a look at it and think of him. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, you know, they don't have any modern amplification devices, and so you've got to have someone with a big, strong voice and a ram's horn or some sort of a makeshift megaphone. The herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Wow. Worship the facsimile of King Nebuchadnezzar. What kind of an ego did that man have? Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And what a threat is that? Well, these Jewish men knew that God had given the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, and that included the Ten Commandments. Commandment number two, which we read in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, clearly said, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So we have a terrible conflict between what they know to be true from the word of God and what they are being told to do in this kingdom of Babylon with the very threat of their lives. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, almost everyone, that is. We keep reading, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. That's a really inflammatory thing to say to an egomaniac that wanted you to worship his facsimile in the form of a gold image. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. 
furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That sounds like a stressful situation to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How is that for a proclamation of faith? And notice that their faith is in God, not in just exactly how he's going to take care of that situation. They say, we know he can save us, and he will, but if he doesn't, we've already made up our minds. We're not going to worship your image. What a coping device for a very stressful situation. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Can you see it now? His face is turning red. Maybe he's trembling. His lip is curling. His eyes are narrowing. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. We don't know what that furnace was using for fuel. Maybe it was charcoal. Maybe it was coal. But it certainly wasn't your basic regular wood fire by a campsite. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Imagine having on all sorts of clothes that would easily catch fire and then being tied up so that you can't even move your arms, and then being manhandled by these military men. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. As they were getting ready to go in, they must have been sweating, and their hearts must have been pounding, and they must have been breathing really fast, and their eyes as big as silver dollars, and then maybe shut really tight. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth 
looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted. You know, he had to shout because he couldn't get very close because it was so wonderfully hot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servant of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. If that was the only passage of Scripture you ever had read or had any access to, you might get the idea that the take-home message from this is that no matter what you face, if you trust in the Lord, He will deliver you from the problem. But we all know that that doesn't work in the real world, and in fact, that is not what the Scripture says. God might not deliver you from the problem. Your life might be one big colossal pressure cooker. Your house could burn down. Your kids could get sick. You might lose your job sometime. We go to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, sometimes called the Hall of Faith because it goes through many of the great people of the Old Testament who showed their faith in the way that they lived. And we come down to about verse 35, and we're reading about so many of these great people. Many of them were delivered from their problem, and then we read a little further and we find that some of them weren't. Join me in verse 35, the second half of it, Hebrews 11, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. See, there's the reference to the story we just read in Daniel 3, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Okay, so far, so good. Faith is a strategy for stressful situations and God brought them through, but keep going. Others were tortured, 
and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So you see that in stressful situations, faith can even be a marvelous strategy when it doesn't work out perfectly in this life, when God's plan goes beyond the here and now to eternity for its completion. He's still in control, and people can have such a peace and such a satisfaction that they're doing the right thing in the midst of the storm that they are able to carry out, even to the giving of their own lives, the right thing to do. So what would be the point then in light of these scriptures? The point is that no matter what you face, if you'll trust in the Lord, He'll give you the strength to cope, peace in your heart, and He will bring you through in a way that glorifies His name. That might include a marvelous, miraculous deliverance in this life, or it might not. But you can use faith to combat stress. By faith, make biblical choices so your life is in line with His will. Because God is in control and His plan is good every time. Trust Him to bring you through the circumstance regardless of the outcome. Rest in Him. Well, what if I get cancer? Well, it's possible. What if someone close to me dies? Well, it happens. What if I lose my job? You never know. But Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. We go back to the book of Hebrews, a couple chapters over from where we just were. Chapter 13, verse 5, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Can you picture him holding your hand just like that fourth man in the fire? In Babylon, the angel of the Lord walking around with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. I know who holds tomorrow. David said, in chapter 52, verses 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
So the bottom line message from Daniel 3 is that faith is an important tool for combating stress. Have you put your faith in the one true God? Have you trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you and save you from all of your sins? Can you see how living a life of faith can bring peace in all of your situations and all of your storms? Join us next week for the second installment of Stress Management, where we will look at the virtue of courage and the life of Esther. And please remember, if you were helped or inspired by this podcast, we ask you to like, comment, share, or subscribe to this content. Blessings.